Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Watts from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Come on, come all, and welcome in Inside Black and Gold, that is. And we have a special organized team activity edition. We're cranking it out as the Saints prepare to start hitting the practice field. And we get actually ready for real, well, I guess kind of real football talk, you would say. Kind of, almost. Yeah, it's it's Monday when we're recording this. The first day of Saints OTAs is Tuesday, May 23rd. So not a lot of runway between now and when OTAs actually starts. So we're not going to be spending a ton of time diving into like, oh, here's what you might see. Here's what you might see. But. I do want to go over like who we expect to be there yeah. and who we don't expect to be there. Cause I think this one will be the, it's kind of like to me, like preseason games of like, okay, the first one is when you'll see the fewest amount of people. The second one is when you might see the most. And then the third one is when you might see like a different set of people missing. Right. And so that all starts tomorrow. We're also going to have interviews with Dr. David Chow, pro football doc to go over some of the injured players that were coming back that, you know, we're going to be interested to see. And then we have an interview with Drew Brees that um, we got on Friday on sports talk that I've pared down and we're going to play for you and kind of talk about some of the things he brought up. But yeah, first things first, OTAs on Tuesday. How are you excited, Steve? It kind of feels like this is the unofficial start of the, it's almost like the preseason to the preseason. Yeah, I mean, we got a little taste, obviously, with the rookie mini camp, and this will give us uh, even more access to some of the veteran players that are now uh, showing up for these voluntary workouts. And like you said, um, the thing that we'll be doing first when we get there, I, actually, though, we do with every practice, is you start taking attendance. And yeah, yeah finding out who's showing up for these will be important. And I think we're going to see some pretty solid numbers showing up uh, they usually do for the Saints. And just some of the guys, I guess, with the question is going to be due to injuries for the most part. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like the ones we know who we're not going to see, right? But the, the interesting part to me is there's a lot of new faces on this team this year, more so than, than I feel like I remember in other years. Like, you'll, you'd see some turnover, but I feel like, I mean, between quarterback, wide receivers, running back, an entirely new defensive interior, right? Like Nathan Shepard and Colin Saunders is the first time we're going to see them out there. So to me, that's what tomorrow is. It's like getting used to seeing Foster Moreau in number 82 in a Saints jersey, because that's what he's going to be wearing, who who I expect to see, by the way. Like, I would be surprised if Foster wasn't out there, because to me, I think he's trying to prove a point. Like, if he didn't have cancer this offseason, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but just stay with me. If he didn't have cancer and he was just signing, I think there's a chance he doesn't show up. But to me, I think it's like, no, I'm I'm good and I'm going to prove it and I'm going to be out there. So I expect to see him. But, you know, like guys like Jamal Williams is going to be really interesting. James Washington, I think he's going to be wearing 89. There's one other that, oh, Brian Edwards is going to be interesting to watch. Like there's a lot of intriguing names out there that this time last year we we weren't talking about. So I do think that's going to be interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, along with a array of new bodies on the roster, there's definitely going to be, you know, new position coaches to check out as well. Uh, there was some even during rookie minicamp. I was like, wait a minute, who's that now with the secondary kind of thing? So, yeah, just getting used to a, a lot of new faces. Yeah, Marcus Robertson, great beard. Yeah, um, right, exactly. <laughs> Todd Grantham, you know, uh, who is some like Cody Burns is back from last year. Um, you know, Joe Woods, who who is – you know, he, he's interesting because I, I feel like it, it's strange because last year, Ryan Nielsen kind of felt like a head coach in waiting, like in training almost. Like you, they would send Ryan Nielsen out there and you could tell like even from the way he spoke to the media that he was wa- waiting for his opportunity to advance, right? Like you could see it kind of like when you dealt with Dan Campbell, like you could always see like there was higher ambitions there. Like he would eventually be a full coordinator, head coach, whatever. I don't get that impression from Joe Woods. I feel like Joe Woods is very comfortable in the role he's in. And and like, I I don't say that in a negative way. I just say that in, I think for this to work, you need someone like that, right? Like I, I could, because if this staff stays intact for years and years and years, you are never going to be the real, the, the true defensive coordinator on Dennis Allen's staff, right? Like, right. And that's why it was it was doomed from the start in terms of, okay, Ryan Nielsen and Chris Bouchard are going to be like the second and third in command or, you know, wh- however you want to call it. Both of them want to be full defensive coordinators. Both of them probably want to be head coaches in the NFL someday. This wasn't the route for that. But Joe Woods, I feel like, is very much comfortable where he is. So anyway, like, like I think... As we hear from him more, I think that the, the reason I have that impression will become more and more clear. It's just from what I've heard from him, he doesn't strike me as someone who's like, man, I want to be calling the plays. I want to be doing this. It's like, no, he's comfortable in his role. And I think that's helpful when you have Dennis Allen kind of leading the show. And so we're going to get to see how he operates a little bit more starting uh, starting tomorrow, too. Real curious, off, off the top of your head, do you know if Chris Richard ended up anywhere? Because I can't recall him latching on with anyone. I haven't heard anything. I know he, he's in that escalator program, like the coaching escalator thing okay. that, uh, that that started, but I don't believe that he is coaching anywhere currently. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he latched on somewhere and it wasn't reported. Maybe he's yeah. like an analyst somewhere or like a consultant. I don't know, but he didn't land anywhere as like a coordinator or anything like that or like a secondary coach. Yeah. It was it, that's just curious. Obviously, the Saints definitely then moving on from him, obviously, and did not have any interest 
and elevating him to that sole defensive coordinator role with the team. Well, no, because I, I think, again, like I think the reason that happened is because you were, even if you were the sole defensive coordinator, you are not the defensive coordinator. Yeah. Right. It is in title only. You're not calling the plays. You are not getting the credit, but you probably will get the blame. And it's <laughs> like a lot of people probably wouldn't want to be in that situation. And they didn't sign on to be in that situation. Right. Both of those guys were hired by Sean Payton on Dennis Allen's staff. And you didn't know how that was all going to turn out. Right. Then all of a sudden the system is what it is. And I think that's where, where things got over anyway. It, that's not really what we came in here to talk about, but it is kind of, I think that one of the reasons the defense did not hit, I would argue it's expectations last year. Like it finished below the ceiling of what you probably wanted it to be was I don't, I don't think that group, that defensive group kind of coalesced the way that it was, it probably was wanted to May, whether that was due to one or more of the people in there or people not getting the opportunities that they felt like they might've deserved or just not feeling comfortable in that setup. I don't know, but it wasn't, it didn't work right. Like at least early in the season, like things didn't look right early in the season. And so hopefully that changes. Hopefully that's not the case this year. Um, Cause like you look at some of the games that the, that the saints lost. And if you were getting like the, the defensive performance you got late in the year, in the first six, eight weeks of the season, I think you win at least one more game, maybe two, right? You probably beat the Bengals. You probably beat the, the Panthers week two, right? Although that's a tough example because, you know, the Panthers scored on a fumble six. So maybe not the Panthers, right? But, you know, who, who was week, um, week, you know, the Bucks maybe that game, although they played pretty well in that game. Anyway, like I, I think you do need to see that. Like the Vikings game is probably the best example of a game that they probably win if the defense shows up like the defense you wanted it to be. And it was at the end of the year. Um, so that's something to watch, but why don't we go through the players who we don't expect to see yeah. tomorrow. And so you, you kind of alluded to this. So guys, I don't expect to see due to injury are Cesar Ruiz, obviously dealing with that list. Frank injury. We might see him out there like working with trainers. I right. don't think we will maybe at maybe the second one or the third one. I don't think this is the one where you get him out there, but who, who knows for sure. So we'll see Trevor Penning dealing with the same thing. Like it right. wouldn't surprise me if these guys were in the building and just not out there working. And the same could be true of Michael Thomas. Right. Um, either way, like I don't expect to see any of them out there doing drills because of their health. And I also don't expect to see them just like standing on the sideline. A guy like uh, Kendra Miller, though, we did see him doing some work off the side for rookie minicamp. Maybe yeah. that's a situation where obviously he feels obligated. Like we know they're voluntary, but as the rookie. Oh, he'll be there. Rookies yeah, are going to be there. I, I, no I'm just wondering if we're going to see him also on the field or will it kind of be in the building away from our eyes kind of deal. So that, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how the team works and and figures that out. I think you're looking at Rashid Jaheed from last year, right? Like, because he was in a similar boat of he dealt with the knee injury in his final game of college. He was coming back from that. And, you know, like he actually had something to prove. Kendra, I don't think does like, he's going to make the roster. He doesn't even need, like he could have the worst training camp of his life. He's still going to make the roster last year. Rashid was not in that, in that case. Right. Um, and they were still kind of holding him out. Four OTAs 
probably full well knowing they were probably going to cut him at the end of camp regardless of how he performed and it was just kind of like a okay it's fine like this is how this is the roadmap for you don't panic just get healthy and come back and i think that's going to be what they try to do with kendra but i guarantee you he's going to be angling to get out there in some way so i think what what i would like to see and what you probably will see is as these otas go forward you see him get a little bit more incorporated. Like maybe he takes part in some of the individual drills and not the team drills. Um, kind of like we saw from Mike Thomas in camp, right? Like he was out there from day one of training camp last year, but he wasn't a full participant until like week three, week four, even like it took a while before he was just going through all the drills. And so I, I think that's kind of what you're, what you're going to see is like, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him get some individual work tomorrow specifically because I think the team is cognizant of like, you know, they want to, they want to like show off what they got there. So like maybe he wouldn't work in the second two days of practice when it's closed to the media, but I think they're going to want to get him out there when he's healthy. Yeah. That, that's another thing to keep in consideration too. It's like what we see Tuesday might not be the same participation on Wednesday, Thursday, obviously. And we, we won't know right. because we won't be there kind of thing. Yeah, and that's the yeah right. And uh, I feel like last year was the final day of OTAs that we were yeah, out there for practice. I agree, right? This year they're giving us the first day, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if it changes that much, but you know, I, I do think that it's like there were times last year where guys would be there on day one and not be there on day three. Yes, exactly. So there's a chance the attendance is actually better because, like, I remember we would see like pictures, like they'll put out a gallery of like, oh, first day of OTAs, and you'll see this person, this person, this person, and you go there. <laughs> on the Wednesday and be like, well, where's CJ Gardner Johnson, right? I think that was the case last year. No, it might be the um, case. Like, yeah, like the, the Thursday session might be like Friday and people are like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm not sticking around. Well, and, you know, they're going in to get, you know, to have a meeting and sit down and like, okay, this is what we need you to work on over the next couple of weeks, the next month. And then it's like, yeah, but you don't need to be there on Friday. Like, you're right. Fine. This is, <laughs> and, and I think to an extent, like you're okay with the veterans not being there because the people you actually need to see are the young players, the new players, right? Like these are guys you want to get work in. If you're doing eight reps of team drills, you want to see the the new guys in those team drills. You don't need to see Alvin Kamara run up, you know, <laughs> you know, a handoff. <laughs> like you know what he looks like. You know he's gonna be there anyway. Right. Uh, give it that's to, give example because he might not be there. But give it to Eno Benjamin, please. Right. He needs right. it. Give it to anybody. Anybody that's not the you know like anyone you have to learn something about. Anyway, uh, going back. So there's two other players who got cut. It's Cy Barnett, the wide receiver out of Davenport. I don't know if he got cut because he dropped a couple passes at rookie minicamp, but he dropped multiple passes while I was watching him in that like 15 minute <laughs> segment that we were allowed to watch. And all of a sudden he's cut. Like it kind of feels like, you know, there's not a lot you can do to make the team, but there are some things you can do to not <laughs> make the team. And I think he did. It. Yeah. It's like almost like, oh, we saw enough. You have terrible hands. We're moving on. <laughs> Like if you're <laughs> if you can't catch it here, you're not catching it. Um. Anyway, and then cornerback Vincent Gray, and then they did sign four players. So they signed defensive tackle Jack Heflin, running back Ellis Merriweather, defensive lineman Nico Lalos, who's a familiar name we've seen him before. Yeah. And then defensive back Adrian Fry. They also signed James Washington, who's going to be wearing number eighty nine, and Foster Morrow, who's wearing eighty two. And to go back, Heflin's going to wear ninety five. Merriweather's going to wear thirty five. Lalos is going to wear 54 and Adrian Fry is going to wear 44. So all of those guys <laughs> guarantee you will be there I, with the exception of maybe Foster. If his doctor says, you know what, maybe hold off. But like I said, I expect him to be out there. 
Yeah, that whole story has been pretty amazing. And just from our standpoint, really curious to see his the conditioning, his energy, and just what he's able to do on the field. Because I don't know, I, everyone I talk to thinks it's pretty amazing that he's able to undergo these treatments and be able to participate in football, NFL football practices already. This isn't just, you know, hanging around doing some notes on your laptop. Yeah, see, from hearing him talk about it, I don't think it was ever really a huge issue for him in terms of like, he said he only had like 10 days where he couldn't work out because he wasn't getting chemo or anything like that. It was a drug that, you know, he had an IV drip and then he had three shots and it went and it took care of the, the lymphoma he was dealing with. And I was back. And like down the road, he might need to get more treatment. But right sure. now it's just like, yeah, you're going anyway. So well, we talked about that. Let's talk about the players that I don't expect to be there. So yeah. like Demario Davis, no. Marshawn Lattimore, no. Alvin Kamara, no. Those are the three that I am 100% confident will not be there. Uh, seeing Demario doing whatever kind of workouts with Cam Jordan in the team's facility might have me swaying towards seeing, you know, him out there. But yeah, that obviously doesn't that signify just because they had him in a picture working at the facility that he's going to be around for those voluntary workouts. Well, I mean, like a lot of the players have been in the facility and like doing off season program stuff. Like yeah. that's not unusual. Um, I just, he wasn't there last year. I don't anticipate him going to be there this year. The same with Marshawn, same with Alvin. I would, I don't think Tyron's going to be there. Tyron was there last year because it was his first year on the team. And I think anyone who is new to the team is going to be there. But I don't think Tyron's going to be there this year. Marcus May as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not there. And then the offensive lineman, I think, is a question, right? Like Ryan Ramchek, anyone on a rookie deal that's going to be there? Ryan Ramchek, I think, will probably not be there. Eric McCoy, probably not there. Andres Pete, probably not there. Anyone in a position battle? Probably, yes. We're like a James Hurst, who I think still is in position battle for left tackle, is probably going to be there. And it's more James Hurst competing against Trevor Penning's health. <laughs> that technically competing against Trevor Penning, but I think he'll be there. So like those three offensive linemen, Eric McCoy, Ryan Ramchek, Andres Pete, um, and then Taysom Hill, I think I would not be surprised if he's not there either. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's got much to prove. Uh, we're not talking about any kind of position change this year. Right. Uh, we, we, we know he's going to be in that utility role again. So uh, yeah, I know he had to deal with a groin injury early on last year, so definitely give the Swiss Army knife plenty of rest. Was that rib injury? You're talking about you're thinking Pete Warner. Oh, Warner the had linebacker. the groin. That's right. Yeah, who this time last year was working off to the side with trainers, right? Because he was dealing with that groin injury. That's right. Um, he had the rib. Taste. Yeah, he's another guy that like he's on a rookie deal, so I expect the rookie deal guys to be there, right? Like Pete Warner, Paulson Adebo, Alante Taylor. Like you're, you don't see those guys skip OTAs, and if they do, it's usually. Like, look, think about uh, the guy for the Giants, Florida, um, got traded midseason, first-round pick. Gosh, I'm blanking. The tight end? No, wide receiver. He ended up on the Chiefs oh, and won oh, Super Bowl. Um, Kadarius Tony. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Right? Like, he skipped workouts. And immediately it was like, this is an issue. Like, and it's not because you need to be at these workouts. But when you are a rookie or a second-year okay. player or a third-year player, it seems like it's sending a message. Just like C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Like, his whole offseason was trying to send a message like this is not going the way I want it to go. And you could see it. It wasn't it, it was not difficult to identify. And, it, and I think when you're a young player and you're skipping voluntary workouts, when you know it's like you are getting better, this is your development time. 
then it's kind of a, I think it's, it's indicating something beyond like, oh, I want a weekend off. So that's something. The funny thing is I, I would, I would bet money, money that Jameis Winston is there. It's the opposite reason of like a Taysom Hill, who if he was competing to be quarterback, to be a starting quarterback, he's there in the role that you have him in at tight end. I don't think he is there. Whereas Jameis Winston is definitely not competing to be a starting quarterback, but just his personality is going to have him be out there. I would be very surprised if Jameis is not out there tomorrow. No, I, I definitely feel the same way. The fact that, you know, we've seen him be that team first guy all along, no matter what the situation's been. And you know what? Uh, I don't think uh, he's going to want to let his grasp of that number two role goal uh, go, even if, even if, you know, it's going to take a lot, obviously, for a rookie like Jay Kaner to become Derek Carr's backup. But heck, anytime you're not in the building, it gives him that extra leg up. So, yeah, I would, I would think Winston's going to be that competitor and be there right from get one, day one for him. It's a good point. Like, I don't, I, I'm not going through position battles right now because I don't think it's worth talking about until you at least get into the mini camp. But like one of the position battles this offseason, and it's going to be a stilted one, like it's going to be Jameis way out ahead to start, but it's Jameis Winston and Jake Hayner for the backup quarterback job is a position battle. Like it will be very difficult for Jake Hayner to win it, but it is at least in consideration, right? Like, like Marshawn Lattimore is not competing with anybody. Alvin Kamara is not competing with anybody. Like there are people like maybe Kendry Miller and Jamal Williams for like some of the backup snaps, right? Like that's possible, but like no one's contending with to take Alvin's job this year. No one's contending to take Chris Olave's job. This year. It's, it's a very much set and you're just kind of seeing who develops where, but backup quarterback, you know, it, they paid Jameis, like Jameis is under contract. It wouldn't hurt to only have two quarterbacks active on game day. Right. And if Jay, and if Jay Kaner showed up and like, was that guy and it was very clear that you could trust him from day one, maybe it's worth saving that roster spot. I don't know. But anyway, I think it's a, it's a good point. Yeah. It just seems like a, obviously a huge uphill battle and things would go dramatically wrong for Jameis Winston in camp. If he were to be the number three guy, obviously. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Like he would have to do something crazy. Like he, like, I think the way I described it last time and I stick with it, it's like, if you were it'd be like running a 400 and like Jameis is already three turns in, and like the only way Jay Kaner could possibly catch up would be like Jameis like trips over a ghost and falls and you know like it, then it's and even then it's like if he just got up and and jogged he probably wins still but it's like he, he needs to if he falls over and then it just lays there on the ground like that's the only way anyway that's a kind of a long form way to describe that but I think that's a good way to look at it is like Jay Kaner could be fantastic it would still require Jameis to not do the job like to to just kind of like fall over on himself i don't think that's gonna happen anyway we'll we'll start to see that tomorrow but i do like regardless of whether jake quote unquote wins that position battle he's still going to be a really interesting guy to watch because you want to see that progression you want to see him get better and better like i don't mind if he struggles tomorrow right i want to see him by the end of training camp not struggling with the same stuff he struggled with on the first day of otas yeah, unlike our good buddy Ian Book, who we just get worse never, over we never saw that <laughs> clock in his head get any faster. <laughs> no, I think he got worse. I think he he actually regressed from like the times that he just, like I feel like he was better in his first off season than he was in the second. Anyway, so yeah, let's let's wrap up that segment. We're gonna go in and we're gonna play you an interview that we did with Dr. David Chow, pro football doc on Twitter. Check him out. Not Michael Thomas is not his biggest fan, but he 
kind of did nail Michael Thomas's outlook last year, considering played three games and then did not was not heard from again. So I, I do very much trust his opinion, even if Mike T doesn't. Um, but we're going to come back with that. You're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. We got OTAs starting on Tuesday. Stick around. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. And we are getting ready for OTAs starting on Tuesday. The first set of OTAs is going to be May 23rd through 25th. That's this Tuesday through Thursday. We're going to be out there on the Tuesday for all three of these sessions. That is the first practice of the three. The next one's going to be May 30th through June 1st. So that's a week from tomorrow. And Tuesday, June 5th through June 8th is the following week. And then mandatory minicamp which would be June 13th through 15th. Then training camp is at the end of July. We kind of went through in the last segment, you know, who we expect to be out there, who we don't. One of the, the, the few people that we are very confident we won't see is due to health and injuries. And so that's why I thought this interview with David Chow, the pro football doc was, was interesting. You know, like, and last year, you know, he talked to us at WWL and he was, you know, I know it made Mike Thomas angry. I think he said your favorite, your favorite fantasy football doctor lied to you or something, something along those, along those lines. Um, that's around the same time that he was publicly feuding with Jeff Duncan, which, which I still think is funny that Jeff had no idea was happening until someone told him afterward. He just did not hear it. But, you know, I, I, I appreciate that Mike Thomas because it at least lets me know that Mike Thomas is still engaged. And that's what you do have to wonder about with Mike because you see him so infrequently. We we don't see him. Like once he got hurt and didn't come back, we didn't talk to him again. We talked to Alvin about Mike. We didn't talk to Mike once from week three on. So it's like, we just have to kind of wait and see. Um, but yeah, what, what did you think of that interview before we play it? No, I, I, I'm a total agreeance with you and Mike Thomas, the, you know, the saints definitely treat him with kid gloves and are very mm-hmm. protective of, you know, putting him in front of us at all. But with, with Dr. Chow, I mean, you obviously respect his knowledge, having been a, a lead doctor for teams in the NFL and what he brings to the table here. And wasn't necessarily wrong in the information he gave us with Mike T. And I did find it obviously pretty eye-opening of what he thinks about the receiver going forward as well. And it's, you know, obviously – uh, dealing with a, a slew of injuries these past couple of years, it basically we're never we're never going to see that same Michael Thomas that we're used to on the field again, like it or not. Yeah, and, and I mean, like if you're wondering about his credentials, go look him up on Twitter at Pro Football Doc. I mean, he was a lead NFL doctor, team doctor for 17 years. Like he knows what he's talking about. And w- one thing that he's always careful about is to make it clear, like I'm not treating these people. Yes, I'm not treating these athletes, but I am analyzing what their injuries are and what that means to their outlook. And so he looks at a lot of this and kind of projects it into, you know, a fantasy football sense in a lot of instances of like, okay, you're trying to figure out not only how significant this injury is in a football sense, but how long is it going to keep him out? How much is it going to affect him? Because I think that's what a lot of people don't consider as they get down toward the end of the season. Like we, if, if you go back to that 2020 season, 
and the Saints and the Bucks are playing in the playoffs, Michael Thomas is out there. But that's not Michael Thomas. Right. If Michael Thomas does not catch a pass in a football game, Michael Thomas is not on the field. And he wasn't. He was playing on one leg. And so you have to consider it a little bit more than like, oh, yeah, he can get out there. It's like, yeah, he's battling. But that's not like, a, what, like what percentage was he playing at? Like in the, play, in the wild card game, maybe he was like a 70. In that, in that AFC championship game, he might have been like a 60. And Carlton Davis is now going to use that as his like Mount Rushmore performance that he beat Mike Thomas. I'm like, anyway, I do think like thinking about injuries in a, in a more aggregate way of like, yes, after a certain point, it does slow you down is important if, as a kind of analyzing sports and kind of getting further in the season. Um, Cause like Drew Brees, is another example, like I don't think Drew Brees was Drew Brees during that AFC championship game. Maybe he was still good enough to potentially win that game. If Jared cook doesn't undermine everything that they were trying to do, but he was not like he was playing with like a torn labrum and all this like Brittany Breeze like <laughs> kind of threw him under <laughs> threw all of his information out there into the wild after the season ended. But yeah, it's it's important. And I think how you kind of assess injuries is is important to when you're analyzing the game. But here is that interview that we did with David Chow on Sports Talk. Chow for giving us some time, Pro Football Doc. When we hear that about hardware being taken off of the Out. the injured foot or slash toe, uh, what does that entail for Thomas? And uh, when you hear Dennis Allen speaking about the recovery, uh, just what's your take and what do you think we can expect from Thomas? Well, of course, you know, we're looking at things from afar. And uh, I think we talked before that when he was coming off the ankle, I was saying that Michael Thomas was more likely going to be the third receiver for the Saints than a top three receiver in the league. And obviously, last year with his injury, he was the fourth wide receiver for the Saints behind Olave, Shahid, and then Landry. Look, I'm not that doom and gloom this time, but it is certainly concerning. It was a second toe injury. I would have felt that he should be a little further along than he is. But certainly to, for the head coach to say he's hoping slash expecting, look, the 49ers are hoping, right? And the other thing that Coach Allen talks about and it's very real. 2019 is the last year that Michael Thomas finished the season and had a great season. 2020, a little less than half. 2021, zero. And last year, very few games. That's a lot of time out of the game and getting back into football shape, et cetera. What he has going for him, he's a big body receiver, so uh, he can make some catches based on his size. But uh, that's a high hill to climb, and uh, we'll have to see how he looks. I mean, in the past, he's always posted a lot of videos of himself, you know, working out, and that kind of gives us a better idea of how he might be but i can understand why why people are a little bit worried right now dr chow thanks for coming on i think one thing when when you, we've heard a lot of things about toe injuries these especially this past season with the saints it feels like everyone's had a toe injury mike thomas is, is i feel like is a little distinctive because he had a dislocation of that second toe and i'm just curious if you could just give us some perspective because i think from an outsider's kind of point of view it's like really a toe how is a toe keeping you out for this long but you know what what are some of the challenges of dealing with that especially for an nfl player who obviously needs to use those feet pretty well to to play at this type of level well there's no question the great toe the first toe the big toe is way more important than any other joint right and that's the turf toe joint and everything else the second toe is 
Well, the second most important. But the great toe is at least 50% of the push-off power. And the second toe is significantly less. You know, the pinky toe you probably could, quote, chop off, so to speak, right? And uh, the second toe does, uh, is, you know, uh, is the second most important, and it can be a factor. And obviously, you hear it from Dennis Allen. I feel like I'm a really bad reporter. I was it happened to be in Arizona during the owner's meeting and the cocktail function and got introduced to Dennis Allen, but I didn't ask him specifically about Michael Thomas. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't want to submarine him anyways. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. The right. idea is that coaches are always going to be hope springs eternal right now, right? right? right. Everyone says whatever. But here's the thing. Okay, let me ask you this question. Who would you guys at this point have more faith in? Odell Beckham Jr. with the Ravens or Michael Thomas with the Saints? They've both had their injury issues, and I think you can make a case either way. I know nationally there was a line put out on Adele Beckham Futures prop that was at 575 or something like that. Not super optimistic for Odell Beckham because it was his second ACL. But then again, he's had a year and a half to recover from it, whereas Michael Thomas has been – you know, three seasons now with a variety of injuries and not ready to go. Odell Beckham's going to be full go in for a training camp and full go for OTAs. Michael Thomas isn't. So, yeah, I think there's some reason to have some concern. No reason to panic. We'll have to see how he does and turns around, and I'm sure he'll post his videos about how he's moving and running, and then we'll judge from there. You know, it is. I think it's a good question with the difference between Odell Beckham and Mike Thomas, and it's one of the reasons I felt a little bit more optimistic last year probably than I should have been in that Mike is a bigger receiver. He's never really used athleticism to as a crutch to get open in the NFL. He's the king of the contested catch, whereas Odell, I think you probably do need that dynamic athleticism at his size to be effective. But, you know, then you watch it in action, you get through three games, and it's just, you know, one thing after another. And I guess I wonder, when you do have those repetitive lower body injuries, is it just bad luck at this point, or, or does it point to, you know, some structural issues or, you know, you're you're compensating in one way and it leads to more injuries? Does, does one thing lead to another, or is, or is it more likely just like, hey, he's just been snake bit? Well, usually the truth is somewhere in between, right? Yeah. There's probably a snake bit component, but certainly in the kinetic chain, as we call it, one injury can lead to another in terms of uh, compensation. And, uh, you know, these guys are race cars, Indy cars. They, they rev at very high levels to uh, perform, you know, and you're right, right about he's lifting 500 plus pounds, but that's not the game of football. That's not what he has to do to run, jump, and move. And you are right, being a big body receiver, uh, you know, that doesn't go away, you know, his being a big body receiver. So he's not like, a, you know, a, a, a smaller receiver that really relies purely on separation to uh, get open and make catches. And that's what he does have going in his favor. And there it is. If you want to listen to that full interview, you can go over to WWL and, and check that out. But yeah, I, I do think that he makes some interesting points there. And I think it is notice, worth mentioning that he is more optimistic this year than he was last year. And I think part of that is, for Mike Thomas, you're at least not coming back from the ankle, right? Like, what, last year at this time, it was like, man, is his ankle ever going to allow him to play at the level 
that you remember Mike Thomas, which is 2019, 149 catches, or was it 149? I think it was. And that's not what he's coming back from this year. It's the it's the toe, it's the foot, but it's not that ankle where it's like Steph Curry. If you if you want to go back early in Steph Curry's career, you know, not only were you not sure whether he could win championships or do whatever he's done, you weren't even sure he could make it through through a season. He had glass ankles. They just kept getting hurt and hurt, and he eventually kind of adjusted his footwear and I'm sure he worked a lot to strengthen those ankles and and he ended up being obviously the Steph Curry that everyone knows but that was a serious question it was it was not like just you know oh people going crazy on the internet it was a serious question because he just kept having seasons significantly impacted by ankle injuries and for me that is the one difference this year for Mike T is you you at least are not questioning the ankle now the toe the foot can his feet hold up to hold different question but i think it is a much lower hurdle to try to get past yeah dr chow did mention that he's a little concerned with the fact that he thinks the toe recovery might be taking a little longer than expected but i'm sure that just everybody uh being extra careful just due to the history we've seen michael thomas go through with that ankle that you were just talking about kind of thing but man yeah when he was back on the field last year those three games it looked like the old Mike T again. And that that's definitely encouraging at least. And the ankle was never an issue, right? right? Like, like that's the thing is what people need to remember. He hasn't missed three, basically three seasons due to the same a, a variety of injuries. It has been ankle, ankle surgery, setback on the ankle surgery, this, 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 this is different. <laughs> so like, at least there is that. And it's, and it's a small, you know, the thing to pull out of it, but I do, I do think that it's significant. And and I don't like, from my understanding is like, this is the timeline that they had set. It, it's not like they're set back in any way. And like, he was supposed to be ready at this point And he's not like, this is the schedule playing out where he had some hardware in his foot. That's what you referenced at the beginning of that interview. It got taken out recently and so that's obviously a surgery. It's a minor surgery, but it is still a surgery. So it takes some time to recover from. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the last steps to getting that ramp up that I'm sure we're going to get here a lot about. But, you know, I, 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 again, it's like, I don't question whether he can be out there for camp. And I don't think that the timeline that you're dealing with right, or not, right now is an issue in any way, just like it wasn't last year. It's like, we're going to talk through about it all through camp. We're going to say Mike Thomas looks great but the question is not going to be answered until you get into the regular season and he can play what, how many games in a row, right? Like how many games can you, like, I would be fine if he played three out of every four games, right? Like, like that three game stretch last year. Great. Week four, he's out fine, but he needs to be back week five and then play week six and week seven, week eight. Fine. Take it off. You're fine. Week nine, 10, 11, you should be out there, right? Like I would be fine with that. I would be very fine with that. Because I think it would it would pretend for a team to make the playoffs. And then it's like, okay, I don't care how much you play in the second half of the season as long as you're there for the playoffs, right? Uh, it's just uh, – it's it's like the last few seasons from, a, from an offensive perspective have been very much like watching a team with like one hand tied behind its back. Yeah. And I just hope that changes. Yeah, and, and Mike T, the, the notion that he's – you know, holding out or he doesn't want to play for the team. I hope we're beyond that with some of the, the chatter on social media and all. We, If there's anybody that wants to be out there, 
you know the way Michael Thomas works, the way he's dedicated to his craft, to getting his body in tune. We saw him doing that crazy deadlifting amount of weight, and the, the strength has never been a problem. Uh, we love the fact that he's able to get those contested catches. We just need the man's lower body, lower uh, extremities, that ankle and foot to stay healthy for the season, and I would think we're all good. Of course, something else could happen. I don't want to jinx anything, but – Man, if we could just get Michael Thomas's feet in the right order, we should be good with him for this season. And, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it just because, like you said, he's going to look amazing. We're going to talk about, oh, my God, how we just burned Marshawn Lattimore on a route. Yeah. Maybe they should just replace, like, all of his toes with, like, bionic toes. Whatever works, right. Sure. You know, and, and it's funny because, like, at this point – I don't even care about that conversation of like, oh, he doesn't want to be here, whatever. He would much rather be playing somewhere else. Like, you can have that conversation. It, it doesn't matter whether he does want to play somewhere else or he doesn't. If he wanted to play somewhere else, he could have gone and done that this offseason. Amen, he, right. It, it, so either he does want to, and there's no deal out there for him, which means that he doesn't have a choice anyway, or he doesn't want to, and it doesn't matter. So like, I don't really care about that argument. It doesn't matter either way. Um, th- next off season, fine. If he, if he doesn't want to be here, yeah. he can go hunt for a deal somewhere else, but that deal is not going to exist unless he plays well for the saints this year. So like, I have no question whether he's going to go out there and give full effort. The only question is whether he physically can do it. And it's been the same question for the last three years. And I don't think it has anything to do with motivation or try hard. It's all about just, you know, I, I hope it's luck, right? Like, that's the problem is like after a certain amount of times, it's just what happens. And, <laughs> you know, it's no longer luck. Uh, but yeah, and, and he's not the only injured player, but it's just every year it's going to be the same conversation until he's no longer on the team. <laughs> you mentioned the fact that if he could have, he would have went somewhere else kind of thing. And I'll just go circle back to also when Derek Carr was signed, you know, the tweet with the praying hands together and saying, Thank yeah. you, Jesus. So that's he wants to be here. He wants to be here. And he's he's really looking forward. It seems to be working with Derek Carr. So I, I think Saints fans should be excited about that notion. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did kick the tires and see if there were any deals out there. That's what your agent's there for, right? But I don't think that process went very far. I mean, like, he didn't drag it out, right? Like, that his restructure and his re- renegotiated deal got done way earlier than it had to get done. So like what, regardless of how, how aggressively he pursued leaving, if he did at all, it didn't last very long. Yeah. And just, I mean, he, he's got to realize too, that as good and as dominating as he once was, it just, that hasn't been the case, unfortunately for the last two years. Except for week one, he was good in week one, but yeah, he's not the only injured player like Trevor Penning, Cesar Ruiz. It's going to be a question too. Um, Kendra Miller, I, I genuinely think that Kendra could go out there and play and it's completely fine. And it's just a matter of the team playing it safe. Like if this was college, he would be there. He'd be on the field. Knock on wood. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think about defense and I can't really think of anybody that's we're, we're, you know, nursing an injury coming back from at least. No, last year you had Marsh, Mar- Marcus Davenport and Pete Werner, who were both kind of working off to the side and Marcus met. He was dealing with the, he was coming back from the Achilles. So yeah, last year you had three key defensive players, three starters, all dealing with injuries to start camp. And right now, fingers crossed, that is right. not the case for anybody. So that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I guess the only one, 
you worry about coming in and who needs to have that productive, I'm not going to even say a breakout year, just have a product, productive season is, you know, former first round pick and Peyton Turner, who we've seen have a, a list of injuries <laughs> already. But I mean, it's like he, he's been healthy in camp. Right. <laughs> so I don't even know. Like, I thought he looked good last camp. That's the thing that kind of really surprised me is like, I thought he had a good camp. I, I thought he looked good. I thought he looked like he had improved from year one. He was beat. He was fighting with Trevor Penning, right? It was competitive. Yeah. And then you get to the regular season and he's just nowhere to be found. And I don't know if part of that is just being stuck in a rotation behind Marcus Davenport, right? Like maybe with more kind of first team reps, he can build on that, but you know, it's gotta be there and you gotta see it. But again, like I, I, I thought that he, he looked like much improved during camp and maybe it was a mirage. Maybe it's just, you know, that season just didn't go the way he had hoped. I don't know. Week two, you're already healthy scratch. We'll see. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I thought that was interesting, too. I, I agree with you. P- Turner looked like he was he was doing a lot of good things, but I just remember uh, that Coach Dennis Allen was definitely very hesitant to praise anything, and there was still, you know, well, we got to see more. It's the, still kind of that work in progress kind of thing. Yeah, and it was the opposite, the exact opposite for, like, a Jawan Johnson, who was getting yeah. all the praise in the world, and it was like, yeah, they're going to resign this guy, and they're going to extend him, um, and he's going to be a major part of the offense, and he was. So yeah, it's uh, but it, and at the same time, everyone was heaping praise on Dejon Dixon, and De- and Dennis was like, yeah, he needs to be better on special teams, <laughs> and then he get got cut, right? So it's yeah, it's not always what you see; it's kind of what you what you don't see too, and that's why those interviews are actually you know valuable because you know it's like it doesn't even matter what I think; it matters what the coaches think, right? Yeah, they're they're the ones that matter. Uh, uh, crazy, they don't listen to us media members, right? Sometimes I wonder if they do, and then I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> of course not. How about would they? Although they keep drafting the players that I say they're going to draft, so maybe they you, are listening to my mock drafts. You definitely got the like the pipeline. This this year was definitely you and Jeff Ireland's fingerprints all over that draft. <laughs> yeah. Next year you're going to be like, man, we always get these picks wrong. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> um, anyway, all right, let's uh, let's wrap up that segment. We're going to come back. We're going to play you an interview with Drew Brees. Also from last week on Sports Talk, he got into a lot of really interesting things, and he had some—he he had some uh, very glowing comments to say about Taysom Mill, which I know Taysom Mill is always a fun conversation to be had in the Saints family. So we'll we'll kind of talk about that. So uh, stick around on Inside Black. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. One more segment. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Gell. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. Please or give a like, whatever it is. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And this interview is 10 minutes long. This is Drew Brees. I am not part of it. It is actually Steve and Bobby from Sports Talk. I'm just going to go right into it for fair warning. If you are subscribed on YouTube, we did post this interview on YouTube. It's about 10 minutes long. So if you'd rather just skip, if you've heard it already and listen to our takes on it at the end, scrub about 10 minutes forward and you'll be there. Um, But without further ado, here is that interview with the goat himself, Sir Drew, Mr. Breeze. There you go. Now, Drew, uh, 
damn, it's the easiest schedule they ever had in history. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, how can you not win double ditch? I, I know things change and who you play and you look at the quarterback matchups, but I look at how can you not hold the organization, feet to the fire, that being Dennis Allen. Look, I'm a Dennis Allen, Mickey Loomis fan. But I look right now, uh, the, the team's right on the 500 bubble. I'll say for like 8 and 9, 9 and 8, hell yeah, we should be double digits. Uh, we cannot afford to have the third consecutive losing campaign. Now, I don't know if you're going to win anything, but you should be in the hunt potentially to win the NFC South and have double-digit wins for sure, considering uh, that we're at right now with Derek Carr at the helm. I've never seen him this excited over a schedule, Drew. Yeah, <laughs> I see I see that. I feel it. You know, it's funny. I, there are plenty of times where I looked at the schedule and was like, man, this is going to be this gonna be the toughest schedule we've ever played. Like, look, we got to go here. we got to go there. This time of year, that time of year, whatever. At the end of the day, you really don't know. You really don't know what you're going to encounter, you know, from, from week to week with these teams. You know, on paper right now, some of them may look really, really good. Some of them may look really bad. You really don't know until you get to that point. Right. There's so many variables and circumstances that go into that, right? Not just them, but, but how you are as a team, right? How you're coming together. If you have some key injuries and you're, and you're just having to battle it out for a few weeks with some guys that are less proven. Look, at the end of the day, like, look at the division, you know? Should we win the division? Yeah. Hell yeah. Win the division. But Atlanta will be better than they were last year. Carolina will be better than they were last year. Tampa, I don't know. Maybe not. Bottom line is this. You know, if you look at last year – we should have won the division last year. I you know, agree. If we beat Tampa, if we beat Tampa in Tampa on Monday night, would your impression of where the team sits be different had we won the division last year? That's true, right? I, I think everybody, I think everybody would have maybe a little bit different feeling, with a sense of urgency. But you know, you you start feeling like, man, we really gotta, we really gotta do something here, right? It's been two two seasons now without without going to the playoffs, when obviously that's the expectation that we've we've established. But we were one game away. Not even one game. We're like two plays away right. in that game. There's about five things that if just one of them didn't happen at the end of that game, we win the division, right? We're right there. I mean, bottom line is we're right there. We have we have all the pieces in place. I mean, offensively, golly. Like, I, I look at the skill position and, and just we've got a lot of mouths to feed. But, man, we've got, we've got guys that if we can – everyone understands and embraces their role – I think Derek Carr is a great fit for the system. Uh, I think defensively, we're still there. You know, I mean, you'd say the two captains of the defense, Cam Jordan and Demario, are in a position with some with some young talent now around them that we've gone out and drafted over the last two years. You got to make sure that we can hold up up front. You know, you lose a couple interior D linemen, but you go and draft a couple. You know, hopefully those guys jump right into a position where they're key contributors um, and everybody can stay healthy. I mean, look, yeah, sky's the limit. You know, you just want to take one step at a time. But I don't think you worry so much about who you're playing or the rest of the division, or any of that other stuff, though, Bobby. You just focus on, honestly, the best teams that I was a part of here. On yourself, right? Were, 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 were teams that just, honestly, the off seasons, the training camps, you just battled. Iron sharpens iron. Like, you woke up every day trying to kick the other side's ass. Amen. Like, like you woke up, and it was like, I, I couldn't even look at Jonathan Vilma in the locker room. <laughs> because I was like, I got to kick that guy's ass today. Like, I like you know, that. All those guys, Roman, Malcolm, like all those guys, you know. And, Amen. And so for a month, you were just at each other's throats. And then once you got to the season, like you were so tired of beating up on each other that you you couldn't wait for the season to start. And then you looked at everybody else and you said, there's no way that who we're about to play this Sunday is better than what we've been going up against every day in practice for the last month. 
and it just made the season that much easier. Now, uh, Drew, uh, but the question I should say that I have for you, we can't be snake bit again as far as can we take away the football or protect it? Drew, I, I bet you didn't know this. So I'm going to tell you this. Do you know that the Saints are coming off their worst team ever, uh, the, the worst season ever in Saints history for takeaways? And only 14 forced turnovers and seven interceptions that were both franchise lows. Considering as good as our secondary was, that's two franchise lows. Well, you know this. Okay, let's say we've played a handful of games. Can't we be plus four instead of minus four or something? I mean, you know how much difference that makes. Yeah. Look, and, and, and there's, there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, but you, you talk about man, ways to, to help the offense, right, and play complementary uh, ball. You know, that, that goes a long way. On the flip side, the better the offense is, the more points you're scoring, the more pressure you put on the opposing offense right. to have to be more aggressive. Well, what happens when they get more aggressive? That's when opportunity. That's when the defense can be opportunistic. So all these things play hand in hand, right? And it's not that one equals the other, and it's like it's a combination of all these things. Man, the better the offense plays, I guarantee you, the more turnovers the defense will get, and the more uh, turnovers the defense gets the more points the offense will get because of the more opportunities and the more momentum shifts, right? These things work hand in hand. Both sides have their responsibility in, in that. Have you got a chance at all to talk to Saints rookie Jake Hayner after he got drafted by the team in the fourth round? Huge fan of yours, wore the number nine in college, uh, and just seems to have that same kind of moxie, that, that attitude and that makeup. Well, he's a poor man, Drew Brees, waiting to accomplish great things. That's what I think. Yeah, I had a chance to uh, I had a chance to be around him this off season, and um, uh, he, you know he communicated a little bit of, of how you know he, he followed me growing up, but but not to the extent of you know what's come out since the draft. So obviously that's humbling. Um, I think it's a great pickup for for the Saints. I think he brings a lot, you know. And, and look, you never you hope that Derek Carr can stay healthy and everything goes great. But as we know in the NFL, you need a very very capable you know backup you know kind of stable of guys that can step in and get the job done if, if they need to, you know. Um, certainly Taysom Hill is always ready, willing, and able in whatever capacity, you know, the team needs him. Um, but, yeah, that's always exciting to, to get guys like that, to hear stories uh, like that, and and feel like, you know, you've, you've made that type of impact on a, on a young player, a young QB. Now, Drew, you bring up Taysom Hill. I said there should be a category for him, I don't know, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not a regionalized Hall of Fame, but, I mean, it's about jack-of-all-trades, uh, Swiss Army knife. I mean, have you ever witnessed a quarterback that can run past you or run over you and then is capable uh, to do some play-action passes and then also block a punt or, or return a kickoff? I mean, he's like the modern-day version of Jim Thorpe. I mean, can you name another NFL player that's playing in the 21st century or even before that who's on the Taysom Hill level? I've never seen a player like Taysom Hill ever. You know, may, maybe there was a, there maybe there was a throwback guy right. in the in the 1930s, 40s, right. 50s that we're just we're not thinking about, you know, autogram or I don't know. But I don't think we've ever witnessed anything like this before. A guy who who could, if if someone decided to build an offense around him, he could play quarterback in the NFL. 
Okay. Look, that that job is hard enough, right? But now couple that with the fact that he's returned punts, he's returned yeah. kickoffs, he's blocked punts, he's blocked extra points, he can block the point of attack in the run game, he can pass protect, he catches touchdowns, uh, you know, he he can run the football as well as just about any running back you have. I mean, so it's not just one or the other. It's the it's the combination of all these things. If 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 he if all of a sudden you were down a, a, an offensive lineman and and you said Taysom, would you just play guard for like three plays and just like hold up against this this stud inside? Right, right. I bet you I bet you he could do it. Right, he right. Certainly stick. He'd certainly stick his nose in there and try. So yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything like the guy, and and he's he's is is. is well, He's as good a teammate as, as I've ever had, too, you know, which, which makes it even better. Drew, definitely appreciate the time. Please tell us more about the Pickleball Fest that is headed our way to NOLA. And uh, any message out to all those sports and pickleball fans here in New Orleans? Absolutely. Pickleballers everywhere. New Orleans nationwide, sign up. We'd love to have you. Um, again, the dates are August 10th through the 13th in New Orleans at the convention center. Um, be tons of... Uh, events in and around the the amateur pickleball tournament itself. There'll be pros, there'll be celebs, so celebrity pro-ams. We're going to have food, concert, music, you name it. It'll be a ton of fun. And uh, you can go to drewbreeze.com, which is our foundation website, because all the proceeds go to our foundation. And you can uh, click on the link there to to register. Also, sponsorship opportunities. If you want your company to be involved, we're going to have a whole VIP experience um, aspect alongside this, a huge hospitality aspect in true New Orleans fashion. So the NOLA Pickle Fest is what we're calling it. So the first annual New Orleans Pickleball Fest, August 10th through 13th, DrewBreeze.com. All right, and there it is. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Drew, for coming on the sports talk last week. I thought it was a really good interview. There is a little bit more to that. If you'd like to hear the whole interview, you can go check it out on WWL. For all you pickleball um, fans. Big pickleball <laughs> fans. He's bringing a pickleball fist. Pickleball. Pickleball, pickleball, pickleball. We're um, going to have to try and get some kind of WWL team together and see if Drew will play us. Well, I've been, you know, this is not about the football at all, but I've been seeing like news stories about how, People who own houses near pickleball courts are like going insane because the noise is, I is like that. Just so obnoxious. It's like, cause it's like tennis. It's like, yeah, you have a tennis ball hitting a tennis racket. It's not really noise, but it'd be like living next to a giant ping pong table. Yeah. With people playing all the time. <laughs> and uh, I can see why it'd be annoying. Cause that noise, like you can kind of hear it in your head. It's just like, <laughs> I, I get annoyed when we're in the locker room and I hear it on my audio when I, when I'm editing stuff like ping pong. Oh yeah, well, because they're always in there doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they haven't. I, had, I don't think they've had a ping pong table in there for a while. Yeah, now it's just the basketball going on. Yeah, but yeah, you definitely that, and yeah. it, it basically is a big wiffle ball you're hitting around. And I, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that. I saw that same thing that yeah, there, there's residential folks are getting aggravated with the the noise from pickleball because it's not loud, but it's loud enough and it's repetitive and, and constant, I get it. right. It'd be like if like, yeah, if if you someone was constantly playing wiffle ball next to your house, but all they were doing was constantly hitting a hundred wiffle balls back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So no, I thought Drew had a, a lot of interesting things to say in that interview. One of them, as as mentioned previously, we already know that Drew Brees really likes Taysom Hill. But when you say something like, I have never seen a player like Taysom Hill ever. 
I think that's pretty telling. And like, I keep, I still get asked, like, why does Taysom Hill have a spot on this roster? What does he do? And the answer is everything, everything. that nobody else wants. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. Obviously, you know, the Cajun Cannon has nothing but love for Taysom, too. And I think that the best way to describe him, we've heard it all, all along, is just saying he's a football player. There's no position with him. And I'm just curious to know how much more in the receiving game can we see of him? We know he's got that power running ability and always gets that extra yardage kind of deal. But I, I would just love to see the man you utilize more in the receiving game. I, I just, uh, that's one aspect where I don't feel he, we see enough of him. But I mean, last year, I think pretty much you called it with Taysom and his usage in this, in this team. And uh, even we're smart enough to take him in fantasy football at the tight end spot. Yeah, I mean, he's a running back, right? Like, he's just a running back who runs the Wildcat. But if you can if you can start him at tight end, he's worth having. If you have to start him at quarterback, absolutely not. But this quote from Drew says, uh, if all of a sudden you were down an offensive lineman and you just said, Taysom, would you just play guard for like three plays and just hold up against the studded side? I bet you could do it. He'd certainly stick his nose in there and try. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of Taysom. Like, like I, I, there's this fantasy football idiot who just every now and then will show up in my mentions. And I like, I swear I muted him, but he keeps <laughs> make showing up and he's like, Oh, he doesn't do anything that's worthwhile. And I was like, he literally plays special teams. If anyone on your special teams group is also a contributor in any facet of the game, then they are worth keeping around. And the fact that he not only plays every special teams unit, he also comes in and does something on offense that no one else can replicate. It's such a strange conversation because it's like, of course you want that guy on your roster. Like, yes, it's kind of gimmicky, but sure, that's because there's only one of him in the NFL. <laughs> it's going to be gimmicky because you have to figure it out, but it's like, it's worth having. Do we have Do we have a Taysom one of one fan out there at all? No. I mean, <laughs> I think that's every BYU Cougar. I, I mean, yeah. Basically the entire like like city of Provo. With Hill, to me, it also said a lot when Breeze was still around. He didn't mind at all. He, and, and actually was yeah. in favor of, of of Hill getting more snaps while uh, at quarterback, which is amazing to hear from a competitor like Drew. Yeah, and, and I think that's <laughs> going to be a really interesting thing to watch develop with over Carr, the right? course of the season. Because last year, one of the benefits of going with Andy is – you had no qualms about taking him off the field at any point. And it was kind of the beauty and the, and the madness of Andy all in the same, in the same kind of, you know, picture of like, okay, yeah, his ceiling is so low that there's no question, but like you, you would have never taken Drew off the field as many, as often as you took Andy off the field last year. Can you do the same thing with Derek Carr? How much can you do that with Derek Carr before he starts to get really annoyed that, okay, so I just have two downs. Like I, I go out there and I complete a six yard pass on first down. Suddenly I come back on third down and it's third and six because our, our, you know, great Taysom Hill power run lost us two yards, right? Like I didn't get that chance on second down and now we're, you know, we're in third and long. Right. And it's like, that would annoy me as a quarterback over time. If it works, you know, everyone kind of feels happy about it. Winning cures everything, but I do think that it's a it's like he can say all the right things. I don't know that it's going to work the same way for him. And I think it's going to make so halfway through the season, we're like, why aren't we seeing Taysom more? Well, it's like, well, you paid this quarterback. This is your starting quarterback now. And I think you're going to kind of revert back to what it was with Drew, which is like Taysom getting 10 touches on offense in a game 
not catches, but like carries, which is the majority of it last year, is going to be a lot rarer than it was this past season, would be my guess. An even bigger question, will we see Derek Carr lined up at all at wide receiver? <laughs> I mean, he will be. Just to, The real question is whether he actually runs a route. <laughs> we never I, got to see that from Drew, sadly. I highly doubt it. Well, they told Taysom he was not allowed to throw to Drew under any circumstances. <laughs> Which, uh, but one time he did fake to him and the defense bought it. It was against the Bucs. Uh, anyway. So there's one other comment from Drew that I do want to draw attention to in it. And I think it's actually a really good point of the, the turnover thing last year. Like, you can look at the defense and say, why isn't the defense forcing turnovers? And there is an element of luck. There's an element of randomness to it. But what Drew pointed out, which I think is very, very accurate, is the offense has a role to play here too, right? Like if the offense is not forcing the opposing offense to do anything out of its comfort zone because they're not putting up points, then yeah, it's going to be harder to turn to turn teams over, right? Like if they're not having to do seven-step drops and try to force the ball down the field on third and long, you're not going to have as many opportunities for turnovers, right? Like, yeah, you can punch the ball out and that happens. It didn't happen for the Saints last year, but in a lot of instances, why is that running back fighting for extra yards where you can punch the ball out? It's because they're desperate to get across the goal line like Alvin Kamara was against the 49ers, right? Like if the Saints are up 10 in that game, he's not trying to fight his way into the end zone and that turnover doesn't happen, right? And I think the Saints did definitely did not put opposing teams in positions where they had to get aggressive and make mistakes and it's on, in part because the offense didn't put up points the way that you'd be grown accustomed to it. Like, I can't – like, there were a couple games that stand out where you're like, yeah, the Saints offense really took control of this game, the Rams game, the Raiders game. But even then, they were not blowouts where the other team had to just completely just say, okay, we're going for it, right? Like, even that Rams game was pretty close. The Raiders game – should have been a much bigger blowout than it was. The only reason it was a blowout in the end is because the Raiders didn't score. But if it was a 20 nothing or something like that, and it should have been worse, I think that's a big part of it. And, like, you can put it on the defense, but the offense has to play complementary football. Like, you know when it's really easy to, to, to force a team to make a mistake is when you pin them back to their own goal line, right? <laughs> that didn't happen that much last year. I don't know. Like, I think that it, it's a really good point. And you, when you look back at that season in 2022, one of the biggest struggles was you never felt like the Saints had the better offense in a game. Never. At no point. Even in games they won, I didn't feel like they had the better offense. No, and, I remember I remember thinking that Seattle game, I thought they were going to yeah. cruise all over them. And then I remember thinking, holy crap, Geno Smith looks totally different. Were they allowed 45, 42 points in that game? <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Taysom Hill won that game. Like right. you point to right. the games that, that the quarterback won other than, so week one, you give it to Jameis week four, week five, you give it to Taysom. Right. What are the, what are the games that the quarterback win that season? It wasn't against the Browns. The quarterback didn't win that game. Taysom Hill won that game. The, the weather won that game. It wasn't in week 17. Marshawn Lattimore won that game. Right. And, and Gardner Minshew won that game. Right. Was it the Rams game? I guess Andy had a good game that game, right? Yeah, but I mean, you also were playing against the backup quarterback for the second half, right? <laughs> yeah, like, totally, right. Like the defense won against the Raiders. So, yeah. so like there was like in no games that, but you could point to games that the quarterback lost. 
right? So it's just like the quarterback position last year was a net negative. Yeah. And it needs to be at least neutral. And if you want to be a playoff contender, like net positive. And I think if that is the case, the the turnovers will come. You, you will get back to a to kind of I think it will regress to the mean. But um, well, I just think it's a good point. Like you can look at the defense and say the defense is doing something wrong. In, in reality, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. One of them being lackluster offense, not putting any pressure on opposing offenses. And of course, we saw that you know if it was something was going to go wrong last season, it definitely did for this team. And I think. The turnovers was another one as far as even getting the takeaways. A ball gets knocked out, the other team's able to fall on top of it, or even like a tip ball miraculously falls down where nobody else is on the field for the Saints. They just had terrible luck all around kind of deal. See, I don't even know if that happened that often, to be completely honest. Like, I don't recall a ton of instances where it's just like, man, that should have been a turnover. Like, you weren't even getting those. I was one maybe really good example kind of thing. The one really good example is against the 49ers where Tyron Matthew gets his whole palm on a ball (laughs) and ends up tipping it up. And then it ends up falling into uh, Jawan Jennings' arms for a touchdown for the 49ers. (laughs) Like, that's a good example of like, man, this is just. Or like Alante Taylor getting like back-to-back interceptions overturned on reviews. Right. Think or like no, that. actually, I'm sorry. One of them was a really, really soft penalty on Chris Harris. Oh. It just it, to me, the, to me, the whole turnover issue. There was it just a lot went into the snake bit, quote unquote, whole feel of last season too. Wait, you know what's funny? It's like we we talk about in the in the preseason, um, like Paulson Debo is constantly getting his hand on balls. He's never picking them off. And it's like, you know, that's kind of a weird thing to complain about when it's like, yeah, but he's knocking the ball down. That's a good thing, right? Like that should be priority number one. And then the turnovers come. The problem is the turnovers never came. And it's like, that's what changes games. And I don't know, like, I do think that Alante Taylor has better ball skills. And I think if there is one focal point of that position battle that I think like will tilt whether it's Alante or Paulson, it's going to be Alante just kind of having a nose for interceptions and setting them up and, and picking them off in ways that Paulson just doesn't seem to handle. And like, either way, they're both going to be very important players on this roster. So it's not really going to, it's not really like one wins and one loses. Right. Uh, I do think whoever loses that ends up playing the slot because you kind of need somebody to play the slot and you want to get them on the ball, both on the field. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know, obviously people don't remember, we, we didn't have Marshawn for most of the year, unfortunately. And yeah, Lante got that, you know, birth by fire, trial by fly fire, whatever you want to say right there. And for the most part, you know, obviously rookie's going to have his struggles, but I thought, you know, solid year all season and really did outperform uh, Paulson, who was dealing with, was it knee or ankle himself? I can't remember exactly what he was dealing with, but he did have an injury in, in the preseason that I think did make it a little more difficult for him to kind of ramp it. Cause it's year two for him. It wasn't like yeah. he was coming into like year four where he's like set on everything. He wasn't even like a, a sure starter last in, in his rookie season. He played, he ended up playing all 17 games. He was one of the, I think he was the only player to play all 17 games. And that was a COVID year. Like he he didn't even get hit the week that everyone uh, got hit 
in, in against the Dolphins. So yeah, I mean, like maybe maybe that just did not the, the season didn't translate the way you'd want it. I don't think he was bad. He just he had like he has a tendency over his first two seasons to be very solid and then completely break down in the worst possible moments, right? If you go back to that Falcons game, the Saints lost in the Superdome two seasons ago. He was the one guarding Cordero Patterson on that last play where you thought the Saints had won and all of a sudden they, the Falcons are kicking a field goal to go win that game. Like he's the one who was guarding Cordero Patterson. Should you should your rookie have even been on the field at that point? Probably not. But the fact is he let it he let it up, right? He was the guy guarding Mike Evans on that pass interference at the goal line where it's like, why was he one-on-one with Mike Evans? I don't know, but he still did not get the job done. And those, those plays can't happen. Those plays change a game. I think he's always been a little handsier than you want him to be. Uh, and that's just a young, a young defensive back thing. You get away with stuff in college that you don't get away with in the NFL. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he'll show up and he'll be a much more well-rounded cornerback this time than he was last year. But I think that, that just the kind of swagger that Alante plays with is going to, he's going to, it's going to be tough to beat in that, in that position battle. I think you most, you mentioned with a Debo too. And obviously he was like training camp superstar last season. And you got to wonder, was it because he's so handsy and was able to get away with it without the refs around kind of thing. It's definitely part of it, right? Like you get away with stuff in camp that you're not going to get away with in the game it's a factor, right? Like, yeah, you look really good in camp when no one's calling the Jersey tugs. And then all of a sudden they get called. You're like, well, I can't do that. So how do I hold up now? So yeah, I think that's part of it. Another part of it is just like understanding leverage and how to set up like certain plays and how to set up interceptions. And some players are really good at it. Some players aren't. CJ was always really good at that. Now was CJ the best in coverage? No, he wasn't but he was physical and he could set up interceptions. Like if you go back to that game against the bucks two years ago, where he just set up Scotty Miller, like just baited him, and then just like hit the, hit the jets and just, boom, just clean interception. I think that was the play before uh, Tom smashed the tablet like that, that you just didn't have that last year. And uh, you need someone who's going to be doing that. Like you need a ball Hawk. Didn't have one. Yeah. Some, so. Somebody definitely needs to step up and start taking that ball away. I mean, we had, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Kansas City ended up getting two picks. Daniel Sorensen. Well, I, I, like I, I, I've been tooting the t- Tyron Matthew wasn't that bad last year. Horn since before it was cool, and you know I had someone be like, "Oh yeah, we just need to intercept the ball more." I'm like, he had three interceptions. He's led the team. Yeah, like three interceptions in a season for a safety is a reasonable amount of interceptions. Like he did not underperform. There's at least two I think he dropped too. So. Sure, but like he also intercepted three passes. Right, no, I'm saying he could even have more kind of deal. Yeah, and so he had five in 2015. He had four in 2019. He had six in 2020. He's had three each of the past two seasons. So, I mean, three is a reasonable number. It's not zero, right? Like the problem is how many people had zero or one? <laughs> you know, like if, if four or five players had multiple interceptions, suddenly – that's a reasonable number of turnovers, but you, you can't expect it all from one guy. Um, and they just got it from nobody. Nobody. It except was, for Daniel Sorensen. And that yeah. one that bounced into Bradley Roby's arms. And, and then the the one that Marshawn got, that was at the end of the year against Philly. I mean, unfortunately, yeah, we just didn't see him all of last year. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's like we can talk about interceptions too. I think the forced fumbles is the real part of the equation that was like, like that should happen. Like just from luck alone, like 
you might play quarterbacks and they don't put the ball in danger, but like, geez, guys, punch the ball. Are you just not doing the drills right? Like, what's going on? That you can't punch these balls out. You can watch like the Peanut Tillman punch constantly. And it's like, why don't the Saints ever do that? That's why I felt like the bad luck happened. I remember DeMario, Pete Werner, Caden Ellis knocking the yeah. ball out. And then it seemed like the other team was like, oh, they happen to be right there and fall on it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But all right, let's wrap up this episode. We're going to get ready to go out to OTAs tomorrow. I think we'll have another episode posting on Thursday. Um, we'll gather all the sound from Tuesday and then record on Wednesday. And you guys will get it on Thursday morning going to be fun i'm looking forward to it i've been trying to go for runs at like the hottest part of the day to like train myself it's like i call it the i call it the ogeron that's what he used to do hey that's man it. It, only training the body can get you ready for training camp and those brutal conditions can't be a bad thing i just sweat my wet so much. towel over my head yeah i need to go get i always go buy a new wet towel i don't think i'm gonna do that for for the one day of practice but it's like it's like you're just kind of ramping up so sweat sweat maintenance uh, but all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Drew and Dr. David Chow. That's Drew Brees for, for chatting with us over the last couple of weeks. So we give you that. And uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Noack. Let me know if you're looking to hear from anyone specifically at OTAs over the next several weeks. Doesn't have to be tomorrow. We have three weeks of these practices. Hit Steve Geller up at Steve Geller WWL. You can listen to him on Sports Talk Monday through Friday now, starting at 530 to 8 p.m. It's good stuff. That's where we got that Drew Brees interview. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, there's, there's no uh, no more breaks where we're, we're getting interrupted by uh, any coaches' shows or baseball games. Not for a little while. But all right. Thanks for listening, y'all. Peace. Talk to you soon. Who dat? Who dat?